and welcome to episode 30 of Big Boss Battles Big Boss Babble. I'm Terry Jeffries and I'm here with Toby. Hello. Dan. Hello. And joining us this week is Leo. Hello. He's uh, one of the new chaps on B3. Uh, But first we're going to go over to uh, Toby who's been playing a bit of Far Cry 5 this week. So Toby, can you tell us about that? Yes, so... Far Cry 5 is, as best as I can say it, more Far Cry. It's uh, the same formula, it's slightly tweaked, uh, but the best I can say, it's a good Far Cry 3. Yeah? Yeah, it's uh, I won't bother about the plot or anything, it's got good gun mechanics, um, you can have a dog or a, a bear fight alongside you, it's quite good fun. It's very uh, hectic. I I enjoyed Far Cry 3, but not its story. Because uh, I'm one of those weirdos that liked Far Cry 2, even though Far Cry 2 hated everybody who played it. Uh, but Far Cry 3 was just open world and fun, and you could approach all of these little encampments your own way if you wanted. Does it still have that aspect to it? I've not played one since yes, 3. you should like Far Cry 5. <laughs> and four, and presumably primal, or whatever it was they did in the middle. Yes, yes. Just so, what does it actually do? What previous Far Cry games didn't do, apart from the setting being different? Uh, well, as I said, there's the uh, guns for hire thing, where you can get permanent companions who are not like just random people you hire. They have like personalities and distinct voice lines and skills. Like as I said, the dog or a sniper. And uh, I think it's a lot more hectic than past games. Like there's one of the things is there's lots of stuff driving down the road to the game, like uh, tankers destroying trucks to capture, and you'll do one of them, and then another truck will come up and you kill that, and then you know a friendly truck will drive up and start shooting at some other people coming out the woods, and then another truck comes and there's just an intersection full of vehicles now. It's very hectic. Okay, so it's a slightly more populated world. Yes, yes. Or yeah, I remember in number four, some of those parts in four were just barren. There was just nothing for ages and ages, and then all of a sudden you'd come yeah. across an encampment. But there was between them, there was hardly ever anything. Yeah, uh, it's not and, that. It's a pretty good world. And Far Cry 2 was obviously actually just everything in the world hates you. Like, if you yes. go anywhere near a road, any vehicle moving nearby just has somebody on a mounted gun trying to kill you. Uh, I I liked Far Cry 2. I enjoyed Boiling Point more uh, because it had the faction system. But if this has got, like, friendlies that show up and interrupt things, then that's fine. How does stealth work? Do you still end up as some strange, overpowered person who can dissect somebody from 400 yards? It's about the same. Don't really, don't really think they've tweaked it much. Uh, works I, well enough. Have they replaced the climbing up towers system? I heard they have. Yes, yes. No more towers. The maps are... <laughs> oh, thank God. There's actually, there's actually a joke in there where I think you climb one tower and then the guy who asks you to climb a tower says, oh, you won't climb any more towers in this game, I promise, I really promise. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that's like a semi-self-aware joke. Yeah. Self-referential humour is always good. Like, in permissions, but there's no uh, 
tails to unlock maps or anything. The maps all there at the start just clouded over. I think uh, Far Cry 4 also had that. It's kind of just a cloud and as you walk around you re remove the cloud and you can see the map. But yeah, you can see the entire map from the start, which is great. That is good. And is it completely covered in icons that tell you like where to collect stuff and do stuff and whatnot? Yeah, there's a lot. The map's pretty good. Um, will show a lot of stuff before you can get to it. Like, there's something here. You can look at it. Yeah, it's very good. Um, I must admit, I I wish open world games would take um, a page from Breath of the Wild with its map system, where the map system is basically empty. And nothing appears on it unless you physically mark it yourself. You have yes. to find things yourself. And I love that fact. It it really uh, made you want to explore the world rather than just mm. go, oh, I've got to go there now and make a beeline for it. It just made exploring a lot better. I mean, similarly, you had in Skyrim and, and Elder Scrolls games, objects or the vast majority of them in the earlier ones, wouldn't appear on the map until you had approached it. So you were kind of carving out the map. Uh, but, you know, there were one of there were two movements when it came to maps in open-world games. And if you look at things like the Saboteur, or I guess any of the, the Ubisoft open-world maps, they just kind of painted the maps with things that you just needed to hoover up, which was the reason I didn't enjoy games like... Uh, well, the reason I didn't enjoy Dragon Age Inquisition, despite being a massive fan of the series, because you reached the hinterlands and stuff like that, and, and they almost wanted you to just pace from one corner of the map to the other, then back, then back in, in lines across the map. Hmm. So were these resource markers, or were these things that you actually had to kind of get? Was it like, you know, 50 feathers and 100 ducks and 256 nerm roots and... 16 bear asses. No, speaking of though, the the hunting has been turned down a lot. So that, well, as okay. I know, you know, in previous ones you have to collect uh, five fish skins to make a new wallet or something. That's also all gone, and it's just uh, perk points now, which you can get from exploring or uh, doing separate little challenges like kill 20 people with a gun or fly a thousand meters or so and so. So that's pretty nice as well. See, I'm not sure I'd, I'd, I'd like that. I, I kind of enjoyed that in Far Cry 4. It was sort of, it, it made you work for things more than yeah. just picking points up. I mean, yeah, you, oh, you can get a bit frustrating when you've got three or four or something and you're wandering about for four hours going, where the bloody hell is that badger that I need the skin on? But, you know, yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed it. It sort of extended yeah. the game out, maybe artificially, but it was it was a fun world to play in. I think it's, it's okay if it's... I think it's okay if it's um, not too necessary to actually progress and if you can just play the game if you happen to meet another bear you can just shoot it and get your get up to your like, 9 out of 10 bears shot if you really need it and then it's kind of difficult to do I think that's less attractive but if it's kind of a thing on the side you can just do but don't have to or you can do it while you do other quests I think then it's fine yeah I mean Far Cry 4 was I wouldn't say it was necessary, but the upgrades made the game easier if you got them. But you could go through and not get any upgrades. You just have a bit of a tougher time with it. 
Yeah, it works well enough. But anyway, I think we're going to move on to the uh, main topic of this week, which is Desert Island Games. If you were to be stuck on a desert island and you could only have three games for the rest of your existence or until you get saved or rescued, uh, what would they be? Um, I know Dan's already chosen his one, so we'll go to him first. So, Dan, over to you. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Uh, yeah, so actually this was a lot harder than I thought. So, right, so let's let's go with this. So, okay, so straight up, you know, I'm a big fan of Paradox games, that's well known. I'm going to pick Crusader Kings 2. I've spent, you know, hundreds of hours playing that. I could easily spend hundreds more. There's enough variety in there with all of the modern expansion packs that there's enough to keep me entertained for a long, long time. And... You know, due to the fact that there's variable starting points, you can customise whatever and whatever, it's generally all good times. I, I don't have much more to say on Crusader Kings 2, because if I talk about it, I'll talk about it too much. The next one would be ADOM, uh, which is one of the earlier roguelikes. Uh, I remember playing this while I was at secondary school, actually. Uh, and yeah, just, it was one of the, because I didn't play the original Rogue when I was younger, uh, and I kind of lived the generation out, I suppose, when it came to playing games, when I found ADOM, it was something completely magical, and the fact that you could go into town and plant seeds and grow stuff and then go on adventures and come back and pick up the the food that you had grown or that had grown in your absence and then take it with you along the way. I suppose really the solution to all of this Desert Island stuff would just be loads and loads of in-depth roguelikes. But, uh, but ADOM holds a very special place in my heart for that. Uh, obviously, like Caves of Cud and stuff would, you know, replace it quite well, but whatever, we'll go with ADOM. And then the final one would be Earthbound, which is the only real finite one that's there, but Earthbound is just a wonderful, brightly coloured, funny game that's referential to modern society or modern life, I guess, while still following a lot of the classic JRPG threads that I kind of grew up playing in games. So Earthbound is definitely a kind of, it's the sweet spot for for RPGs for me. So that's my free. Fight me. I must admit that the whole the, the obsession with Earthbound is something that I never got, but that might just be my aversion to turn-based battle systems. No, I, <laughs> I, there are a lot of people out there who you go, "What's your favourite game?" and they go, "Earthbound," and they've you know played it once, and it's just because it's this magical, joyful experience, and that shouldn't take anything away from it. I mean, I I never played the official early version of Earthbound. I own the cartridge now, but. I didn't when I played it, and then when I played it again, it was one of those many games that I found when I went through emulation and ROMs, and it was just so quirky and different, and in an age that I guess defined JRPGs in that SNES era, Earthbound was so different, and it was so confident and and happy, and it just, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but... It's also so easy, it was probably so easy to pitch. It's just like, there's some kid and this is a JRPG and they get magic abilities from an asteroid. 
and everyone fights with yo-yos and skateboards and baseball bats and you know you can eat hamburgers and drink milkshakes to heal and get better and they meet some crazy friends along the way like a really geeky guy and yeah it's just yeah it's just fun yeah, I mean, it, in that in that respect, though, it did have a, a unique premise in the fact that it was a a sort of traditional turn based RPG, but set in modern times. It wasn't a future RPG or a medieval one, which most of them were. It was just is now, and that gave it a unique twist, I suppose. But Definitely. because of my aversion to turn based battle systems, it never really hit my radar too much, to be honest. It is one of the few games with that first person turn based battle system that I can play. Because it's got that where you don't see the characters, so yeah, it's you like just dragon. See the enemies, yeah. yeah, it's like Dragon Quest, and for some reason, games like that, outside of kind of the earlier wizardry games and the the kind of those first person dungeon crawlers where you had the little cardinal directions off to the side, uh, outside of those, I can never seem to get the hang of things like Dragon Quest. But but Earthbound, once I once I did, everything was grand. I think it might be because at least that's that's speaking for me uh, you might like for different reasons it's because Earthbound it was actually quite modern for its time yeah. and it had the stuff like enemies if weak enemies on the overworld map running away from you and you could actually just touch them and get the experience you didn't have to fight your way through waves of weak enemies that effectively couldn't harm you and n no other game really picked that up if you look at other great games from the era like Final Fantasy VI or Chrono Trigger or even Final Fantasy VII. Uh, those are generally considered to be very good JRPGs, but none of them really take any of those Earthbound innovations. They're all still very traditional and in their core not really all that different from one of the earlier Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest games. But Earthbound, even today, stands out a little bit because uh, there are only so many games that have taken up those innovations Earthbound introduced and even if you compare to modern JRPGs, some of them almost seem to be more conservative than that which I think is, is kind of interesting so that, that it has remained fairly unique even uh, over 20 years Yeah, and the games that follow on on that mechanic that you mentioned, the enemies running away from you, they're instantly branded as Earthbound likes now things like Citizens yeah. of Earth which is a fantastic game uh, and yeah, it's it's just branded as an Earthbound like, even though obviously there's more to it than that. But but yeah. Okay, cool. So thank you very much for that, Dan. Uh, next, let's go to uh, our, our new member, Leo. You could uh, give us your three keys. Okay, I'm I'm going to be a little bit cheap and go with the Paradox game as well. <laughs> but um, I'm going to go for. Europa Universalis, probably the last entry for. Uh, I do like that a little bit better than Crusader Kings 2, mostly because I, I do like Crusader Kings, but I do prefer the controlling a country over controlling a dynasty aspect. And uh, what I also like is to just watch the EU map and just see what happens. <laughs> Like all the crazy things, just just watch Denmark conquer China or something like that, yeah, and just just be happy about it for no particular reason. I think I would even get a lot of fun out of EU just by doing a hands-off game and just watch AI 
duke it out and just see what happens to the world map. That's not my preferred mode of play, but even just doing that, I think, would be a little bit like uh, randomized television to me. And I think uh, one thing I'd also like about the Paradox game is that they are very moddable. Uh, they're very friendly in that regard. Almost nothing is locked away. A lot of stuff is just saved in plain text files or plain image files, so you don't really need to use extraction tools and stuff to, to get into the game, which is encouraged. And a lot of those games have amazing mods that are almost uh, new games by themselves or unofficial expansion packs, so I think that's really great. And I do like Hearts of Iron probably the most, but I think that the EU series and Crusader Kings probably has more replay value and has mm. a little bit more uh, diversity. And for second title, I'd probably go with Super Mario Bros. All-Stars. I know that's a comp- compilation, so if that's cheating, <laughs> I'd go with probably Super Mario Brothers 3, if only like one proper standalone game is allowed. It's, no, it's, it's fairly it's a, linear. It's yeah? a single cartridge, so it's allowed. Okay, then I'll... Oh, wow. I could even go with Super Mario Bros. All-Stars plus Super Mario World. Yeah, Let's not go overboard. Okay, so I, I just like those platformers. They are ultimately linear, so they... But I really enjoy those games, and I think... Um, I keep coming back to those even like 20, 25 years later, even though I I know them quite well, not quite by heart, but I think for me they just offer kind of a relaxing, familiar experience. And I think they have almost increased in quality for me because I know them well. The other game, but the story is really great where I wish I could replay them fresh, not knowing the story, which isn't really possible with those games. I, I kind of just enjoy that I do know them and that they're kind of familiar and I think it's just kind of soothing in, in its own way. Yeah. yeah. And from my opinion, that's a brilliant yeah. choice because it's a brilliant choice because they are just classic, classic games. You can't go yeah, wrong with I think with. they've actually aged really well. I didn't quite realize when I played them back in the day, but the physics are actually really good. And even uh, five, ten years later, there are plenty of platformers who don't get the physics quite right, or at least, in my opinion, have weaker physics. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, uh, definitely. Mario is tight controls that, yeah. that no one really has been able to emulate. It's that both of them have. So the Mario series and the Sonic series have got incredibly tight controls that have never really been perfectly emulated in other games. Yeah, and I think they've also kind of become my standard. So when I played other games later, I always felt like it was stepped down. And so those games really have aged well for me. And I think they even look good. Especially the uh, the All Stars version with the graphics. Of course, it's it's a low resolution, but I think they're really quite colorful, quite nicely made, and they're still fairly pretty to look at. And have probably aged better than a lot of, let's say, early PlayStation or N sixty four games, which now. Oh have. yeah, the, yeah. Like, the guys know my my views on early PlayStation games. I think I they don't, don't, don't. are awful. Car- <laughs> Anything characters car- 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 made of like two polygons with the face just being like a flat texture. Yeah. yeah, on a cube, they so I think really haven't aged well. But good two D graphics <laughs> yeah. is is timeless. Yeah, I think. And for the third game, I kind of take um, dance route again, but I'll go with Final Fantasy V. Okay, because that's my that's my fi- my favorite Final Fantasy game, and I do like it because it, on the one hand, it has a it doesn't have the strongest story, but it does have a a story that's a bit more than your four warriors step the bad guy. 
and it does have the characters that aren't just a blank slate, but it also has a class system. And I always enjoyed that a lot. Because, and I think it's the kind of the pinnacle of the Final Fantasy 1 and 3 class system. And for me, that makes 5 my, my favorite Final Fantasy entry. And I think it, it adds quite a bit of replay value. And it also has a couple of things like blue magic, which you can learn from monsters. So it has a little bit of a completionist aspect if you really want all those spells, stuff like that. And... It's also quite lengthy, so even if you play it all the way through, you might even be encouraged to just play it again immediately because it's it takes quite a while, and you might say, oh, how about I do train this character in this class this time? So for me, that's actually uh, yeah, probably also the Final Fantasy game with the, with the most replay value. It really... Excellent. It really felt like with, uh, with 5... They, oh, sorry. It really felt like with 9... They were trying to channel five, but missed the point by losing that job system. But it was, but I still find nine to be one of my favourites, especially of the more modern ones. But yeah, five was exceptional. I also enjoyed three as well, but I don't have two hundred hours to, you know. That's fair. Maybe, <laughs> maybe one last, uh, one last thing about five. Final Fantasy Five fixes um, a, a potential issue about JRPGs, which is the grinding. Yeah. So it, it depends on the JRPG, but generally you can accuse them of, oh, so you need to grind, so there's no true challenge because you you just grind until you have that certain level, and if you're a certain level, then you can do the next dungeon. So it's not really like your skill, it's more your patience that does it. That's not true for every JRPG. It's not a general accusation, but that's what you can say. And with Final Fantasy V, you, once you get the jobs, you can do some combinations, like the monks are really good early on because they deal crazy damage. So you can can either you can grind, and in some areas it's maybe not required, but it's helpful. But you can also use very specific class combinations and combination of abilities that you permanently learn. And so you can actually get through areas at a level that's a lot lower than if you just stick with your basic classes and just try to power your way through. I think it's kind of nice, so it does add almost a strategic element which can uh, buffer the potential grinding aspect of, of JRPGs a little bit. Yeah, yeah that's certainly a good, good thing. Yeah, JRPGs tend to be very grindy situations. So, uh, just to make sure that Toby hasn't fallen asleep, as I was very early in the morning for him, we'll go to him next. So, Toby, your, your three Desert Island games, please. I've had quite a bit of uh, thinking about this one, and it's, I've managed to narrow it down to a few. First off, well, of course, Minecraft. There's practically infinite uh, possibilities there. Yep, I totally agree with that. That's, that's one of mine. Yeah. <laughs> a safe answer, safe answer. Mm, yes, keep it nice, nice base. Then I'd go with something like a, one of the Civilization games. I'm, I'm stuck between either four or six. I'm leaning a little more towards six, but one of those two is a lot there. You could play around a lot, lot around with the options, or at least with four. It was very easy to uh, change and make new stuff for. There's a lot of content there as well, doing a couple of thousand hours and rounds. And, and then for the third one, I'm kind of mm, rather something like Gary's Mod. Or maybe something Skyrim. 
Skyrim with the mods, definitely yeah. a thing. I, I think mods completely changes all of this discussion, really, doesn't it? Like Crusader Kings and Europa Universalis. And obviously, yes. nobody's actually mentioned RimWorld yet, but, you know, RimWorld and Minecraft and and such, they are completely different offerings. I, I guess I kind of built mine with, with kind of like, you won't have internet on this desert island in mind, but there's no reason why you couldn't have the mods on the disc that, you know, is dumped at your feet. Yeah, yeah. So. very true. But let's let's just assume that we've got satellite internet. <laughs> just, just, we'll just put that out there. So does that mean you can play Counter Strike with other people and not just against bots? Yeah, why not? We're we're, we're choosing games. We're not going to put restrictions on whether you can get online or or okay, anything like that. That's fair. But yeah, so uh, so my three. Uh, Toby's already said two of them, so that's fun. <laughs> So number one would be Minecraft because the you know you could literally play that for infinite amount of time and and never get bored of it. I've been addicted to that since the early alpha stages. I think I got it in Indev initially, so I've had that game about seven years now. It seems crazy to think about it. It's been around that long. Um, number two might sound like a weird one, but it would be the Game Boy version of Tetris. Because okay. it's it is just something that you can waste an epic amount of time with, and it's just so simple. And it's just you know it's almost it's an iconic game when it comes down to it. So when 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 you mention Tetris to people, most people, especially of a certain age, are going to think of the Game Boy version of Tetris because mm. that is the version pretty much because everyone who had a Game Boy had it. Yeah, it came was with, a pack-in game, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It came with every single one of them, which was a a great move by Nintendo, I think. And it got a lot of people into gaming. I remember my mum used to play it for hours. <laughs> she used to just moan, go, Mum, can I have my Game Boy back? I want, I want to play Kirby. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, because when I, when I was younger and I had my Game Boy, obviously I had Tetris because it came with it, but I didn't like it. I was I was no good at it, and I just thought it was boring. But as I've got older, I've come to appreciate it a lot more. And I mean, I've got my flashcard in my Game Boy, and I can most of the time I don't even have to select anything. I just turn my Game Boy on, press start, and it will load Tetris because it was the last one loaded. Because I play it so often. <laughs> but yeah, so that's my my number two choice, and my number three choice uh, again. Uh, Toby mentioned it would probably be Skyrim. Because I, I mean, I've, I've probably played through that game four or five times, and every time I play through it, I still find something new that I've not seen before, and I still don't think I've seen all that is in that game because it is just crammed full of stuff. Yeah, I haven't even finished it once yet, so there's a lot more content there for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've finished the main game quite a few times. I don't think I've finished any of the. Um, DLCs properly. I've sort of dipped in, and I haven't even bothered with um, what's it, Half Fire, the home building uh, add-on. Oh, yes. I've not even tried looking into that, so that'd be a a thing to do as well if I was stuck there. But yeah, again, with 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 mods and with Minecraft as well, it would have to be mods because I hate vanilla Minecraft. It's so boring now. now. Once you've started playing with machines and programmable computers and, and all that kind of stuff, vanilla Minecraft loses its 
loses its sheen. Although it's fun to play with other people. So like like the B three server that we had for a while. But yeah, so those are those are my three choices. I think Skyrim is also one of the most future proof games because they just keep releasing and releasing it on every new platform that comes out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if the, do. the Switch version is uh, out yet, but uh, is. I yeah. had to remind myself that the game is actually from 2011, which seems to be ages ago. Yeah. If we're talking about video games, but it just doesn't die. It just, it just keeps coming back forever and ever. Yeah. So whatever platform you have on that island, Skyrim is probably going to run it. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've bought <laughs> that game four times. I had it originally on the 360, then I got it on the PC, then I got the Legendary Edition on PS4 and PC because I got it for free, and now I've got the Switch version. <laughs> One interesting thing about the Switch version, um, they've, they've obviously they, they put in motion controls. And when I first heard about that, I was like, oh my God, that's going to be I, I didn't awful. even know that. And I thought, that's going to be awful. It's going to be hacked in and tacked on, and it's going to be rubbish. And generally speaking, it is. But there is one feature that is so overpowered when using those little Joy-Cons, and that's picking locks. So you hold the trigger on one Joy-Con and start turning it. And with that HD rumble in there, it clicks as you're turning the the controller. And then you hold the trigger on the other Joy-Con and twist to unlock it when you've got it in the right place. And because that HD rumble is so damn good and so sensitive, I was opening master level locks at level one. (laughs) So, yeah, it's a bit overpowered, but the way it works is just so intuitive and it's just so good because you can literally feel the lock and it's, it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, you can you can use it to to pull your bow back and do shots and swing it to swing your sword and that that's basic stuff that I don't use. But yeah, picking locks. I mean, there'll, there'll be there'll be times where I've been playing it on the on the on the TV and I get up to a lock and I'm trying to do it the normal way and I can't do it, so I undock it, take the Joy Cons off, unlock the lock, and then put it back on because <laughs> it makes it so easy. But and it runs really well on the Switch, so it's a great version and a great com- uh, conversion. I was kind of hoping they'd do Fallout 4 at some point because it's the same engine, but who knows? I don't think it was as much of a sensation. Probably not, no. Fallout 4 wasn't as greatly received, was it, I suppose? I mean, no. It was very popular among the fans and things, but generally speaking, it wasn't as well received as, say, 3. Or, or New Vegas is the, is, the, is the king of the modern ones, isn't it, really? Yeah, I think the, the issue with Fallout 4 was that it felt kind of like... Fallout 3 in New Vegas, as you said, whereas Skyrim was the first Elder Scrolls game in how many years? Like five I, or six? I think it was a five-year gap, yeah. Yeah, at least I think Fallout, it kind of seemed to live longer, especially with New Vegas. At least for me, it felt like Fallout 4 came relatively quickly after New Vegas, whereas the last Elder Scrolls game felt kind of a long way gone. I know a fair amount of people who have only played Skyrim, for whom that was the first Elder Scrolls game, but there just seemed to be more people who were already familiar with Fallout. Yeah. And there just doesn't seem to be as much of a gap, whereas, for example, the gap between Fallout 2 and 3, that's just, that's a complete generation. That's a completely different 
Well, not only was it a complete generation, it was a genre flip, wasn't it? It completely changed how the game was played. It went from a turn-based tactics, sort of isometric thing, to a first-person shooter, which obviously annoyed a lot of people. I mean, and in 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 between Fallout Two and Fallout Fallout Three, you had Fallout Tactics, which was absolutely exceptional, although a bit. Actually, it got a bit weak as the game went on, but but that was good. And then obviously you had the twin stick shooters where uh, Interplay tried to break into the console market, but Brotherhood of Steel, I I like that. Yeah, I yeah, like I Brotherhood mean, of Steel because I like I like the console versions of Baldur's Gate as well. Yeah, the Dark Alliance games. They were yeah. they were good. They were great games, but they they never they were never going to have the depth that the CRPGs had. Yeah. I will admit I was kind of disappointed with Dark Alliance, mainly because it had Baldur's Gate on it. Yeah. And it's really not Baldur's Gate. I don't mean that in a bad way. But yeah. I was, I got those games and were expecting those to be, oh, it's more Baldur's Gate. Maybe like a standalone expansion, like in that vein. But it really wasn't, and that disappointed me, which wasn't really the game's fault. That was the fault of whoever tagged the name Baldur's Skate on it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. See, for, see, for me, I saw it the other way around. I played the console versions before I played the PC versions, and the PC versions were a bit too high end and complicated for me. I'm not. I don't like high end complicated RPGs. So I actually okay. prefer the console versions. And me and the yeah, wife think... play through them about once a year. Both the Baldur's Gate games is one of the games yeah. that we enjoy together. I, I do really like the Baldur's Gate one and two. But I think they're a little bit opaque, and they, they're games that get better the more you know them. I would say with a lot of RPGs or story-based games, they are best if you experience them for the first time. And when you when you don't know the story and everything is exciting and you don't know the twist, but with Baldur's Gate, if you know the mechanics and everything, I think they're actually at their best. And those, unless you've played the, the tabletop RPG a lot, or you've just read the manual very thoroughly, you're not really going to grasp all the uh, yeah. mechanics at the first time because the game doesn't really explain them well. And even it does explain a lot of stuff, but you still don't really know what's good. You don't know, oh, how much dexterity is good and is this item worth it Yeah, and yeah, everything. That's, so. that's the issue that I ran into because I have tried to play the PC versions. I, I got a, a copy of the enhanced version when it, when it came out and it was I, I was just sort of overcome with how much was was being presented to me and like you say it doesn't really explain very much it kind of just dumps you in at the deep end you, you need to so treat I, them so i didn't get very far and kind of gave up <laughs> you need to treat them almost like roguelikes and once you've died two or three times and started to figure out how the character class system works i i always used to say this to customers when i worked in the shops actually but i used to say it with uh, skyrim and oblivion and fallout you'd say go out there set up a character at the start of the game die Start a new character with what you learn, go from there. And in CRPGs, uh, games like Baldur's Gate or obviously Neverwinter Nights or, or Arcanum, bless it, you know, the once you'd got into a groove as a character, you could start exploring and learning the mechanics. But but yeah, if you picked something based on it sounding cool but it didn't match your playstyle, you were you were stuffed. Yeah, I had that issue with Oblivion. So Oblivion was probably the first large scale RPG that I'd ever played because it had never really been my genre before but I saw the screenshots of it it looked amazing I was like I'll give this a try and the issue I had with Oblivion is that when, when you're making your character you could just you, you know you could choose classes and all this kind of stuff but there was one at the bottom and it was a custom class and I was like oh custom class I'll do that and make this that and the other and the way the leveling system worked in Oblivion 
if you remember, was basically you leveled up your skills individually, and when a, n a number of them hit a certain point, that's when the entire character would level up. And I chose completely bizarre skills that I didn't really know what I was doing. And I think... Now, Oblivion, I've, I, I not only finished that game, I wiped it out. I, I went back and forward across the map finding everything in that game and cleared out every alien ruin and temple and everything. And it was a, I had a, over 400-hour save game. But I was level 10 when I finished. Yeah. Because my character was just... It, it, he just wasn't leveling up. I had really bizarre skills. But because the way the game scales itself to to your character, it was it was okay, and I never really hit a, a major challenge, to be honest. Uh, but I loved it, and uh, yeah, moved on to Skyrim and loved that. That's all good. So yeah, so uh, thank you guys for joining us this week. I think that brings us uh, to the end of uh, this podcast. Um, our, our new member Leo, you can find him on uh, YouTube under the name of Tax Albert, and he's on Twitter under the same handle, I believe. That's so, true. Yeah. So thank you for joining us, Leo. And uh, so from me, Leo, Dan, and Toby, we will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Take care.